church what it is. Thank you, Steve. And I see other Steve Finches at work in this church. This is just one example of many ways in which God is at work in this place and through this place. If you're interested in learning more, see Steve. If you're interested in making a difference in the life of a person, see somebody who's wearing a clinic sticker. Next Saturday will be more opportunities that you and I can make a difference in the lives of others. Would you bow with me as we pray together? Almighty God, we thank you for pouring your spirit into us and enabling us to represent you in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our cul-de-sacs, and along the highways and byways. Speak to our hearts today and help us to listen because you desire for us to make a difference. In the name of Jesus Christ, through worshiping and loving and growing and serving, each one of us is called to go out and make a difference. Help us to listen to you today as we seek to follow your ways. That our thoughts might be your thoughts, that our, my, our ways might be your ways. And when our thoughts aren't yours and our ways aren't yours, forgive us. Help us to receive the grace to continue to serve you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that no matter what, grace always wins. Through Christ we pray, the people said. If you have your Bible or your Bible app open, Matthew chapter 4 is our text, verses 12 through 17. I invite you to follow along as I read this morning. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and uh, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Have you ever heard someone say something like, God's unfair, or can God be trusted, or if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people, or why do good things happen to bad people? Or maybe you've heard someone say, I can change on my own. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need any religion stuff. Maybe in the course of your life, you have said something like that. And you're not alone. And you're in a safe place. 
you're in the right place among people who share those experiences. If you've had questions like that or know somebody who has, maybe this series of messages over the next couple months will help you. We're starting a series today called Misconceptions of God. And each Sunday, we're going to be exploring some of the ways people look at God. And we're going to look at the person of Jesus to discover the real truth about God. So we're going to look at some common misconceptions, and then we're going to look at what Jesus said about that issue. One of the things that's helped me over the years to understand God is this quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it's this, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So we'll look at some of these common misconceptions that people have about God, and then we're going to look at Jesus to see what he says. In the course of our congregation, going through the year, we try to hit on certain aspects of our purpose statement. That is worshiping and loving and growing and serving in the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, this series is really focusing on that growing element, that growing part. Yes, we'll hit on some of the others all along the way, but uh, my, my hope and prayer is that we will grow more and more to be like Jesus and understand more and more about who God is by looking at the person of Jesus. In today's message, we're going to deal with an issue around life change. Far too often, I've sat across somebody in a counseling session, uh, in particular marriage, where he's looking at her and blaming her, she's blaming him, and not wanting to take responsibility, or sometimes it's uh, a person who's struggling with an addiction, and they'll say something like, I don't need God, I don't need the Bible, I don't need Jesus, I can deal with this on my own, I can handle. Christianity is just a crutch for for weak-minded people. I've done just fine in my life up until now with all that religion stuff. What makes you think that it's going to make a difference tomorrow? And I've heard these kind of things over the course of my ministry. And my hope is that we can look at the person of Jesus and understand that we do need God, that we do need Jesus to be able to understand how God it works in this world and how God works in our lives. My prayer is that even if it's a small step in the direction of understanding who God is and how God acts in this world, that that will begin today. That maybe you'll take one step closer to understanding who God really is. So Jesus comes along and he begins to preach. And as you heard in the text today, In verse 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And now scholars believe this is probably in the first year, after the first year of Jesus' public ministry. If you look at the Gospel of John, you see that he spent some time in Jerusalem and Judea. Then he goes to Nazareth, recorded in chapter chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, and he's rejected at his hometown. And then he comes back down to the area of Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is up uh, above the, the top north, northwestern uh, part of the Sea of Galilee, and he sets up his, if you will, headquarters in Capernaum, and then he begins to preach, and the first word that comes out of his mouth is repent, 
And we know that repentance comes from a Greek word, metanoeo, of the noun as metanoia. You've heard that probably over the course of years if you've been in church. Uh, metanoia, metanoeo is the verb. It simply means to change. So Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. He's saying, change. And, and we say, well, what does that mean? What is metanoia all about? How do I change uh, can I change on my own willpower or do I need God? That's the misconception that people have is so often people think, I don't need God, I can just change on my own willpower. I don't need cr Christianity, I don't need Jesus at all. I can just do it on my own. And we'll see that Jesus is preaching repentance and in the course of his life and ministry, see that repentance involves being engaged in a relationship with God and that the power of the Holy Spirit can come in and help us to make those life changes to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. Repentance, the, the Greek word, literally means to make an about face. Like if you were in the military and you were marching or in, your, in the marching band and you do an about face and you head the opposite direction. That's repentance. It also, uh, also has the uh, word picture of making a U-turn, of turning from my old ways, turning toward God. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a new way of living. God's rule has, is becoming firm. He's established his presence. And through Jesus Christ, God will teach us a new way of living. And it requires an about face or turning away from and a turning toward God and life change that you see in people and you see something different about them as God is working in their life. This life change is the fruit that comes through the abiding relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll try to connect with a story. Last year, Melanie, she had to go to a doctor to have some test on her neck, she was having some pain, and the place where she was to go was off Midlothian Turnpike, and we were still living in Mechanicsville at the time, so being a good husband, I programmed her GPS and put the, everything in there so that when she got in her car, she drives uh, 08 Pilot and Honda, and uh, she, she would be able to pull it up on her GPS, and, and she would get right to the medical building, right? So I did all that. And then I get this call. Y your directions were, weren't, weren't right, honey. Right. I made it, but I barely made it. And uh, something, well, turn to come to find out, the GPS map in her vehicle is outdated. And what was to be the second right wasn't the, sec wasn't the right right. It was the wrong right. Because between the time that the GPS map was put on the DVD that's in the car back in 2008 had been the, there had been so much development and new, new uh, growth that now the road she was to turn on was much farther down than the GPS said. And so it occurs to me that in our car, which I still haven't changed by the way, <laughs> confessional uh, preaching, uh, we're, we're driving with an outdated map. How many of us are, are seeking to navigate life, marriage, mortgage, career, school, raising families? How many of us are seeking to navigate life with the 
outdated map. Robert Quinn, in a book called Deep Change, that he's written more of a business book, but it applies to us, I believe, writes about a company whose CEO said that they needed to downsize and eliminated extraneous work from the system, needed to focus on the absolute essentials. The key to the organization's survival would, would be these cutbacks and streamlining, all of that. But after a year, nothing had really changed. And, and Quinn says that they, they changed some of their practices, but they didn't change leadership. The, the leadership didn't change internally in their minds. Uh, they just tried to do few, some new things. Uh, and he says, our existing cognitive maps still drive us toward maintaining the old culture. That's what happens often when we just look at extraneous things that we think might help us uh, to make decisions rather than looking at the heart. He says this requires looking beyond the scope of the problem and finding the actual source of the trouble. And he says, quote, the real problem is frequently located where we would least expect it inside ourselves. Melanie nearly got lost because of an outdated map. Organizations expect to change while holding on to an outdated map. Some of us are trying to navigate life with an outdated map. We're relying on our own experiences or cheap advice from others or self-determination or grit or reason. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Um, Grit and reason, self-determination, but we can't rely on those only. We cannot make critical decisions without counsel from the creator of all things. You and I may be trying to figure out God's will, his desires for our life, his purpose for our life, just by sheer willpower and still dealing with the same old problems, holding on to the same old map. It reminds me of the definition of insanity that someone has given years ago, and that is this, doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. You might have heard that before. So we do need Jesus. I believe with all of my heart that we do need Jesus to direct our will. We don't navigate through life on our own willpower, which can be an outdated map. We need Jesus, the Holy Spirit, uh, controlling us and and helping us to navigate life. Because Jesus promises us new life. He models for us a new way of thinking and being and doing. This comes through an abiding, sustaining relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that through Christ we can become more and more godly and less and less like perhaps people who are far from God. Jesus says, follow me. He says, come and see. He says, learn from me. He says, do as I have done. Life change begins with saying yes to Jesus and surrendering our will to him. And this raises the next question, what is the human will? If you're taking notes, the human will is the capacity to choose. God's will is his desire for us, his purposes for us, God's love for us, and his direction for our lives. Our will is the capacity to choose and make decisions. James Bryan Smith, in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, says that the will has no power. He said it's simply the capacity to choose. He likens it to a horse 
He says the human will is like a horse. The horse doesn't go anywhere until the rider directs it. The human will must be directed, and we can choose to do that on our own, or we can choose to allow God to direct the course of our will. And Smith writes first that what we think in our minds will create emotions which leads to decision or action. So the mind has a part of it. He says that the body is a complex working of impulses that influence the will. So there's the mind, there's the body. And then he says, finally, the, the, our social context, the people who are around us, affects how we make decisions. The will, he says, is neither strong nor weak. Like a horse, it has only one task, to do what the rider and in his understanding, the mind, the body, and the social realm, what these tell it to do. Therefore, Smith says, change happens when the other influences are modified. So what I'm trying to help us to see is we have to allow God to change our mind, our narrative, our way of thinking, he, he, that we change our, our body, our, our physical, that we understand that he's given us this body and it is to be given as a living sacrifice to him, and, and that also that God could change our social context, and all of these can influence the way that we make decisions, that our will, that our mind, our body, our social context, all influenced by God through the power of the Holy Spirit can help us make decisions. And then we can experience the fruit of the Christ life. If you need a visual, uh, perhaps this will help. Especially if you know someone who's far from God, who's just doing life on their own. I read an article in ESPN magazine about a football player, I believe he plays for the Houston Texans, who's not a believer. He says, you know, I, I don't need all of that. And I, I believe we do. Maybe you know somebody who, who's struggling in that area, and you can share this with them, that that so many of us are far from God and there's this gap. And as, as Christians, a very simple way to put, I borrowed this from Bill Hybels in his book, Just Walk Across the Room. But he, he says that the cross is a bridge to God. The cross is a bridge to God. The cross makes us right with God when we receive Jesus Christ, new life from Jesus Christ that we can cross over from the old to the new. Paul says, or Jesus says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and has crossed over from death to life. Jesus is the way that we are reconciled to God, brought right to God. We cross over from death to life. And then as Christ begins to work in our hearts that we begin to produce fruit and other people can see a difference in us and they wonder, uh, maybe... Uh, what makes you different? I want some of that in my life. Paul writes, therefore, as any, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. The other was John 5.24. The moment a person becomes a believer, a follower of Jesus, he or she receives the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, our unseen teacher who points us to Jesus and reminds us of his words, gives us that uh, pointing back to that new map that 
we receive when we receive Christ. The Spirit changes our story to God's story. We have this new way of living that Jesus is preaching about. The Holy Spirit helps us to replace wrong narratives with God. For instance, we may view God as an angry judge when the Jesus narrative is that God is a loving Father and Jesus refers to God as His Abba Father. Abba Aramaic in Jesus' home language, His native tongue meaning Daddy. An intimate relationship with His Father in Heaven. The Holy Spirit even prays for us when our words fall so short. The Holy Spirit makes God's Word clear to us and illumines our minds. So, kind of in, in summary, life change happens when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to change these three main influencers in our lives. When we allow God to change our mind first. When we allow God to change our mind. We adopt God's story as our story. Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Allow God, please change my mind. Make my thoughts more and more like your thoughts. This will change your narrative. What's your narrative? What's the story that really governs your life? Is it a story of abandonment? Is it a story of being bullied? Is it a story of being confused? Is it a story of being shamed? Are you living with a narrative of guilt? Somewhere along the line, some preacher just made you feel so guilty and unclean and dirty, and you never heard a thing about grace. And that narrative has directed your life. And even to this day, uh, you come to church and you're just feeling guilty. And I want to tell you that that is not the narrative that God desires for you to have. That God desires for you to live a narrative of grace because grace always wins. Maybe it's a narrative of embarrassment, something happened, or failure, or maybe you're privileged and people have taken advantage of you, and that's been the narrative that has governed your life. Maybe you're envious. Maybe uh, someone uh, in your life as, as a child was a poor example, and you had a season in your life where you were bigoted, and that, has, that narrative has still stuck with you, especially when you go back home. Maybe you're angry. Maybe... Maybe that narrative is sad. And Matthew West says there's a, there's a war between guilt and grace. And in his song, they're fighting for a sacred space, but I'm living proof grace wins every time. No more living in death's defeat. He says, now I'm rising up in victory, singing hallelujah, grace wins every time. For the prodigal son, grace wins. For the woman at the well, grace wins. For the blind man and the beggar, grace wins. For always and forever, grace wins. For the lost on the streets, grace wins. For the worst part of you and me, grace wins. For the thief on the cross, grace wins. For a world that is lost, grace wins. Grace wins every time. Allow God's grace to transform your mind, to renew your mind, and the, the narrative change to be more and more of God's thoughts and less and less of yours. And the other influencer, the body, that we would engage not only in physical training, but in soul training. Smith says that we in the church participate in soul training. It reminds me of the spiritual disciplines that Richard Foster writes of in his book, Celebration of the Disciplines. That over the course of time in the church, we 
nurture our souls. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. When we cross over from death to life, we begin to see our minds renewed, changed, and our bodies, and our soul. We engage in soul training. And then the third influencer is the social context. It's so important. I've said this a number of times since I've been here as your pastor, and I'll say it more. It's vitally important that we participate in the community of faith. This Wednesday and the Wednesdays upcoming, there are great Bible studies. There's Sunday morning opportunities in Bible study, small groups that you can engage in. And these help to nurture your soul and to train you. And over the course of a year, you can see yourself growing in your prayer life and in your understanding of Scripture and in your enthusiasm for service. Allow God to work change in these influencers. Mind, body, soul, social context. So let me ask you a question. What steps do you need to take to get there? What steps do you need to take to surrender your mind to God? Your body or your soul to God. Your social context to God. You might be saying, Bob, I can't do all of that right now. I can't, I can't do all of that together. I'm not asking you to do it all. God does the work. Just one step at a time. And here's a thought that I'd like to leave with you before we have our invitation. It's this. It's on the screen. One step. I will do today... What I can do, I will do today what I can do that will enable me to do tomorrow what I cannot do today. I will do today what I can do, one step, that will enable me to do tomorrow what I cannot do today. One step. Let's pray.